Smith with a track called Nowhere Fast from the album Meat is Murder. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again, because I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space, and genre with the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Dave Wiggins from the Liverpool band Candy Opera, because recently they've just uh, put together a compilation or collection of all their stuff from the late 70s and early 80s. The album is titled... 45 revolutions per minute. So I'm going to bring you that interview that I did with Dave throughout the show alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. But as always, I thought we should start with a track by the band because we're feeling particularly excited and biased towards them. This is, um, I was going to say on side one, but I don't think it is on side one because it's a CD. But anyway, this is titled Yesterday in All the Right Places.
so much enthusiasm and such an abrupt ending. Anyway, I was prepared. That was Def Skull on the track called Stop the World. And that comes from a compilation that's just come out on Cherry Red Records titled Revolutionary Spirit, The Sound of Liverpool from 1976 to 1988. And this is a five CD box set, which has also got some very nice sleeve notes. And it's going to feature lots of classics and rarities and obscure album tracks from the likes of Echo and the Bunny Men, Teardrop Explodes, The Lars, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and lots of others. And before that, we had our special guest this week. Yes, the one and only Candy Opera. And that was a track that was titled Yesterday in All the Right Places. And that's just come out on a compilation collection that's uh, been released on Fire Station Records. And the uh, album is titled 45 Revolutions Per Minute. And they're my special guest because a couple of weeks ago or months ago, I caught up with one of the members called Dave Wiggins from the band. So I've got that interview to play throughout the show. In little, I think I've uh, broken up into three easy to digest little segments so I'll be bringing you that alongside the usual exciting playlist but because we're feeling very biased towards the band I thought we should play another track by Candy Opera this is a track called What A Way To Travel Roger there's a mind now It's a fading memory He's got pictures in his drawer Of race running Oxford City History repeating itself at the turn of a wheel. More it doesn't mind now. It hopes and vanity fading out a pillow, drowned in the sleep. Finds courage to face the day. Even that time's I'm 
very enthusiastic sounds of Pete Wiley, that's Wah and the track called Remember. And before that, we had Candy Opera, our special guest, with a track called What a Way to Travel. Hello, this is David Easter on the C86 Show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via email or Twitter, just go to at C86 Show. And I will be there. But I have to say, um, have a bit of a confession. I didn't really know much about Candy Opera until this CD appeared on my um, in my aura, or just actually in the post, actually. Um, and I've sort of been amazed because I don't know how I missed it because it is pop perfection, as we like to say. And it does remind me of those incredibly well-crafted indie bands that I loved so much in the 80s, like Prefab Sprout. I keep thinking of the, that album, t- Steve McQueen, that... Uh, we all bought back in the 80s and loved every song. I know a lot of people preferred their first album, Swoon, but um, I don't know. I preferred Stephen Queen. Anyway, crikey, who cares? This is David Esau, and now I'm going to play you the first part of my interview that I had with Dave Wiggins from Candy Opera, where I ask him about the beginnings of the band. Dave, take it away. We started playing um, in 1977, the, the core of the band, um, very informally, um, we call we did one improvised show at um, a Christian youth camp, would you believe, in North Wales, where we went with a, a local community group, um, and we were all heavily into the Beach Boys then. We, we sort of messed around with, with music. That was myself, my brother, Mike Wiggins, um, our lead singer, Paul Malone, and drummer called Ian Haskell. Um, fast forward to 1981, and we started to take it bit more seriously we got some equipment from um our new rhythm guitarist back then carl hodgson's mum's catalogue as one did back in the day and by 1982 um we were ready to play live with what was um what we call phase one candy opera Uh, phase one candy opera existed until around 1986 when we went our separate ways um the songwriter Paul Malone, a.k.a. Mal, uh, he kept the name, which was fine. We were happy with that. Formed a whole new Candy Opera, which we've called Candy Opera Phase 2. Now, I'm making the distinction because the album is essentially two separate bands with the one common link being Mal, the songwriter and chief creative, for want of a better phrase. So, as I say, yeah, there's... Uh, 16 tracks on the album, 18 on the CD, under a mix of Candy Opera Phase 1, 1982 to 1986, and Candy Opera Phase 2, 1986 to 1991. So that's the genesis and the very, very brief history, David. Yes, well, quite. Yeah, because obviously you're based in Liverpool, aren't you? So there must have been that whole connection with Eric's, the the venue. And also there were bands like Big in Japan that that seemed to be quite on the scene and and very influential. So were you um, influenced by people like that? We we, we were. We were probably slightly, only by a year or two, we were probably 15 or maybe a bit older, 16, 17, when Eric's kicked in in 77, 78. Um, We... Followed the bands, we liked the bands, we were influenced by particularly, I suppose, Teardrop Explodes, Echo and the Bunny Men, uh, that whole zoo scene. Um, we always liked Deaf School, but as I say, given our comparative youth, we never ventured into town to see anyone. When it really started taking off for us was more post punk era. Um, we were big fans of War Heat. Um, little aside here, yeah, I was Pete Wiley's dole officer, which was quite amusing really he was in the charts with 
story the blues and still signing on the way it takes a long time for the monies to go through of course um, it was always quite a, an interesting day when Pete came in to sign with that that's a by the by so we were making music then um well we started making music then our, our neighbors down the street we lived on um the less than salubrious amphibian estate in Kensington just on the edge of Liverpool city centre um, a few doors down from a lad called Michael Head who you may have heard of um, from the Pale Fountains and they, they were a big influence on us this was by 182 and Mick, Mick Head introduced us to Love's Forever Changes which again was a, a real sort of um, watershed in Candy Opera's development um, other Liverpool bands at the time. We remember some of the more um, obscure ones. Hamby and the Dance, we loved from Toxteth. Um, our, our mate Peter Coyle, who ended up in the Lotus Eaters, was also in his first band called the Jazz Babies, who we really loved. And, and again, a tie in here. You might have seen the Cherry Red have brought out a, a five CD or album set retrospective of, of the forgotten Liverpool stories, which is going to be interesting which we're not on rather sadly, but it will still be brilliant. Yes, well, I've just come across that five CD box set because Cherry Red are always bringing out sort of five CD box sets or seven CD box sets because they did one on Manchester, which I think had seven, which was quite boggling really, especially because we come from the Eastern region and uh, quite frankly, it's kind of not a lot of uh, bands. But obviously, because on the indie pop scene, I've sort of got it in my mind, there was that kind of glorious period sort of from the Smiths' first single and album to about nine, 1987. So you were kind of right in the early years, but your influences were very West Coast America, weren't they? Very much so. Um, probably 70, 70, uh, 77, we, and I know it, it's probably not great to champion a compilation album, but we bought um, the Beach Boys' 20 Golden Greats. And that that just blew us away. We we'd, we'd heard of the Beach Boys, like everyone had heard of the Beach Boys, but after we got that, we bought stuff like Surf's Up and the more sort of Brian Wilson experimental period. And um, we'd always been slightly different. Uh, myself and Mal, the singer, I've known him for fifty years, and in school, um, well, a lot of the kids in mid seventies comprehensive schools were listening to I don't know Status Quo and a bit more heavy stuff. Me and Mal. Um, the love that dare not speak its name. We we were heavily into the Bay City Rollers, which we couldn't particularly own up to, but Bay, Bay City Rollers, and, and I'm not being tongue-in-cheek here, I know Kirk Cobain felt the same. Those, those Bay City Roller singles, 75, 76, they pop classics, Dave, you know, so that was quite rare for young lads, I suppose, at that time to be into the Bay City Rollers. But yeah, yeah back to sort of the Americana, that, that was really our thing at the time and then we moved on i think given the age we, we did miss the punk thing but certainly once new wave came in we'd be listening to whoever skids buzzcocks joy division that kind of thing as well yes but it's interesting you mentioned the bay city rollers because i once done an interview with les and i've always been fascinated with the story because it's probably one of the most saddest and I mean, you know, talk about having a health warning. It was an awful story and uh, his life got kind of destroyed because of them. But interestingly, you know, years later, there was like the reason that people like the Ramones and Punk came along. Not the reason, but some of their songs were based on Bay City Rollers sort of, you know, chants and, and stuff like that. So in a funny sort of way, you, Brilliant can't, you can't like Punk and the Ramones without liking Bay City Rollers. Otherwise, you're just living in denial really that, that's a brilliant point i'd love to hear you say that because you know things like as well the jesus and mary chain with the definite underlying 
Beach Boys influence there, you know. And that's one thing that this this um, brings us to an interesting point because we've never been precious about our influences. We've always worn them on our sleeve. We produced um, what we thought was a, a, a beautiful demo tape in. 1983 um both songs featured there on are also on the album um with crack away and with yesterday in all the right places took it down to the one um local radio station that had a program presumably similar to c86 david called street life and the host or dj in fairness was very honest he said he wouldn't play it because it was too aztec camera so but we, you know, even today, people have heard stuff from the album can see the Aztec camera influence, the prefab sprouts influence, and we don't deny it, you know. And that's the first part of my interview I had with Dave Wiggins from Candy Opera, and I hope you're paying attention because I will test you at the end of this show just to make sure you're um, being focused and uh, not missing a word. But anyway, yes, quite complex. Phase one, phase two of Candy Opera, but we, we love both phases, so uh, don't you worry about that. Anyway, this is David Easter on the C86 show, bringing you a Candy the opera special because um, as I said at the beginning of the show they have this new compilation that's just come out called 45 revolutions per minute that's come out on a German record label bizarrely called Fire Station Records and if you get a chance do just go to their website because they've got a lot of really amazing stuff that they've been tracking down and putting out so yeehaw for them anyway I think we should play another track by the band this is also um, from that compilation this is called Fever Pitch was a time and forever when I walk down the strange roads, resign to exchange and place the kind legal progress. What am I supposed to do when it strikes so deep inside me? The decline of the old lines, people bound to let grow. Bye. 
there you go, another track from Candy Opera, and that's um, titled Fever Pitch. And as I said many times, and I'll probably keep repeating myself, that's from a new compilation that's just come out, titled 45 Revolutions Per Minute, and that is, that is on the Fire Station, Fire Station Records. Worth checking, uh, checking out. Anyway, th- this is David Esau and the C86 Show, and this is the second part of my interview that I had with Dave Wiggins, where I asked him about how this collection of material came together after so many decades had passed, and this was his answer. Take it away, Dave. It, it, it has, um, just to bring you up to date on how it actually happened, it, it, it's a nice story, I suppose. Persons unknown, but who rumour has it was Lee Mathers of the Lars himself, posted on a Lars forum, must be 10 years ago now, that he loved a band called Candy Opera, and a lot of people replied to the post saying, never heard of them. One of the people who saw the post was uh, Uwe Wyman, from Fire Station Records in Berlin. Now he made it his mission to try and track down whatever he could um, or whatever he could find about Candy Opera and there was, there was basically nothing. Fast forward to probably a year ago and our second phase guitarist, Brian Chin Smithers, uploaded a couple of Candy Opera tracks onto YouTube, which Uwe found. Um, he got in touch with Brian whose email was on his YouTube account. And here we are 12 months on, uh, the album is out, um, where are we? A week on Friday, 23rd of February. And that's all happened in the last, well, say the last 12 months, but probably in reality, um, in the last three, four months since um, the demos and the recorded tracks were sent to the label. Um, and they're now seeing the light of day on the album and CD. Yeah. Because one thing I've noticed as well, the other, it's the admin of being in the music industry is that quite a few people and bands don't really own their material. So there's kind of people who've got albums that they would love to release, but they don't have the master tapes. So did you manage to keep your copy and publishing rights and the master tapes to your, you know, within storage or easily, easily accessible kind of like no. on the cupboard? It, it was tricky. It'll be interesting to see who sees the join. Um, there's a real romance to this, David. The second phase candy opera, we, we had some master tapes which we were able to bring out for the purposes of the album. The phase one tracks on the album are all from old demos which are in my loft or the drummer's loft or wherever. Um, they weren't ideally fit for purpose and this probably isn't very punk but the original demos were sent off to I think it was somewhere in Reading to just be at least cleaned up um, so they were as I say more fit for purpose now I suppose the thing with this album is bands will go into a studio record the tracks in whatever technological way they'll be engineered etc this album is a real potpourri of original stuff and one or two perhaps more polished recordings from the mid to late 80s so and, and we we would say this of course but we we just think it's 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 um, a thing of beauty almost the thought now that it's actually happening that if Uwe hadn't have tracked us down it would never ever have seen the light of day and we'd have gone to our graves with no one ever hearing of Candy Opera is quite um, sobering and poignant, but thankfully um, we're now out there. Yes, 
Hurrah for the Germans, that's what I think. But, um, so... Oh, well, we, we, owe, we owe him so much. I mean, his label, Fire Station, is, is quite magnificent in doing what it does in um, tracking down and releasing these lost gems. And, and David, there must be hundreds, if not more, bands out there who haven't been as lucky as we have to be heard by someone who was in a position to get our music into the public domain and you know we owe, we owe him everything absolutely Uwe. so when phase one finished what was what was the moment that it decided that was it we we got um an nme review in august 85 and it was a really good positive review and we thought things might start happening now we we're playing one or two prestigious gigs um, we did the rock garden in london um, and that was sold out um, but I, I wonder now, on reflection, um, whether it was back in the day when the only publicity was um, fly posters on the wall or the weekly music press, we just, I suppose, became a bit, I don't know, it's almost a cliche, Dave, but a bit disillusioned, really. Um, we were moving off to do different things. I moved out of Liverpool and, you know, it's just simple things, really, like um, trying to get a rehearsal arranged and you know, no one being fully committed to it. And, and we just made the decision, you know, we, we've enjoyed it. We'll stay friends and that'll be it. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, Mal Paul Malone said he was going to carry on. Um, he had some friends in a great Liverpool band who I think should have made it called Come In Tokyo. Um, Frank and Alan, Frank Marn, Alan Curry, allied to his friends, Brian um, Chin Smithers and Alan Richardson, who were in another, yet another lovely Liverpool band called Edelweiss, who no one had ever heard of. He carried on, or he reformed, if you like, Candy Opera Phase 2, and, and they lasted three or four years. Um, so this has brought us all back together. It's combined Phase 1 and Phase 2 bands. We've got a nice sort of WhatsApp group and, a, and a, an email thread. I'm just, just reconnecting with everyone. Just, just one quick aside on that. Um, phase one candy opera guitarist Ken Moss was in the Pale Fountains. Um, he left them for whatever reason. Responded to an ad we'd pinned up in Probe Records. And Ken plays on the album on the early phase one stuff. And then after 85, we lost total touch with Ken. Um, when Uwe said he was going to release the album, we put a photo of Ken on like missing persons on Twitter. And he's living in uh, Alnick in Northumberland and someone spotted it. He wasn't on any social media platform. And now Ken's back in touch and there's a real, almost um, without sounding too schmaltzy, there's almost a real human story here as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, do you feel then that, because obviously when the band happened and then finished, you probably, you know, it wasn't going to be anything you were going to be able to walk into a pub or into a social situation and talk about the band. But does it feel like some sort of... Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying healing process, but is it sort of just something that's kind of made your life a lot better and, and feels a bit more complete? That, that, that Again, that, that, that's a brilliant summing up, David. We were talking about this last night. There's a chap called um, Neil Cooper who um, we met at a Orange Juice Wild Swans gig back in 81, and he became instrumental in the band's developments, even though he was a non-playing member of the band, um, He's now uh, in Edinburgh, has, or he's been in Edinburgh for many years, a, a journalist, art critic, and I met him last night. He came down to Liverpool. We went to see a local band called Aviator, 
um, Pete Wilkinson, who used to be in cast as his own combo. Anyway, Neil and I were making this very point about everyone back together again. And whilst we didn't feel over the last 25 years there was, quote, unfinished business, now that it's happening, we feel, yeah, you know, how could we have, <laughs> sounds almost a bit dramatic, David, how can we have gone on with life, you know, without um, knowing Candy Opera was actually ever going to be a thing again? And now it is. There's, there's a real buzz about everyone. We're, we're keeping a sense of perspective, of course. Um, again, this was something we were discussing last night. It, the album's coming out. Um, we love it. But who's to say everyone else will? You just don't know. But the positive side, we, we spoke to Uwe at the label on Friday, which was notional pre-order day. Um, and he said at that stage, he was he was drowning in orders, which was fantastic for us. But, you know, that might have been the spike and there might be a lull now. We, we just don't know. You know, we'll see what happens when the album's released and people can actually hear some of the stuff. And that was Dave Wiggins from Candy Opera talking about the history and the interesting narrative that uh, happened throughout those years and uh, what's happened ever since. Anyway, the compilation has come out and I do believe the, it, it might have even sold out. But anyway, if you haven't got a copy, I would go and track it down. Candy Opera and the uh, album is called 45 Revolutions Per Minute. I've got one more small part of the interview still to go, but before the end of the show, I think we should play another track by the band. This is on, he says, side two, holding up a CD. Anyway, this is called Shoot. Thank you. 
money, yeah, yes. All about the taste. You'd shoot me up, yeah, just to shoot me down again. the track called Shoot and that's from Candy Obra. Hello, this is David Easter on the C86 show. I might have said it once or twice before, but if you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via email, no, not email, Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 show and um, I'll be there. Always happy to receive any messages. Generally nice, positive ones. I mean, if you're all a bit angsty, then I don't know, don't bother. Anyway, look, I've got one more part of the interview I have with uh, Dave Wiggins where I ask him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. We never had any um, massive aspiration, I think. You know, I say we can die happy now that the album's out. Um, I suppose the enemy piece was we we felt we'd arrived then, you know. Um, And thinking back to my 18-year-old self, we were very idealistic, um, like a lot of young people who who pick up an instrument, I suppose there's, there's an element you think, you know, you're going to take on the world now and that. But at the time in Liverpool, there were the myriad bands. And one thing we didn't do, which again, hindsight's a wonderful thing. We we didn't really get ourselves out and about and be seen. There was a bar in Liverpool City Centre called the Everyman, um, where groups did go to, 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 to check each other out and feign nonchalance and what have you. And it was quite a scene. But we, um, and this is absolutely true, we, we had our own, band Sabutio League. So while the other bands were out drinking and checking each other out and having a look at each other's hairstyles, we were just in the drummer's living room playing Sabutio. So that that sort of set us apart, really. And I presume that's one of the reasons why we didn't get as far as we might have hoped. You know, we just didn't have any vehicle or any any promotion or anything like that. I think what you needed back then... um, it was a single and we just had nothing, you know, you could, you couldn't really get any decent press without having a single out. Um, so as you say, look, looking back to the 18 year old me, um, we might, and we'll never know, we might have, have, you know, gone a bit more on the PR and putting ourselves out there in whatever limited way we could. Just, just to say though, by the way, when you mentioned before about Sarah records and the renaissance of a lot of these fabulous old groups, I put a lot of that down to shows like Your Good Self um, because where else would we get played? Where else would we get interviewed? Who else would plug us? You know, you, you do a fantastic job and we don't take anyone's interest for granted. And I, I thank you here and now for your own interest, Dave. And, and that ties back into me saying before, we needed a single really. And, and one of the many things we've discussed in the last few months is at the time, we probably could have recorded a single for, I don't know, £500. But we were all on the dole so we might as well have you know been looking for five million pounds as 500 pounds back then but it's frustrating because i think if the two tracks on the first 
demo, as I say, with Crack Away and with Yesterday in All the Right Places, if we'd have got them on a single and got that out and ideally got on John Peel, it's all ifs and buts. The candy opera story could have been different. That is the joy of life. And that is also the last part of my interview with a band member of Candy Opera. That was Dave Wiggins talking about everything and much, much more. But anyway, do check out the album. It's an absolutely beautiful album. And um, like I said, I have to confess, I didn't really know much about them. So that's why I played so much of the interview, plus tracks from their new collection titled 45 Revolutions Per Minute, 18 songs. And I have to say, slightly pop perfection. Slightly. I know I'm so sort of liberal. Anyway, look, thank you ever so much for listening. And I hope you have a great week. And um, I'm going to leave you with a couple more tracks before the hour's out. So don't worry. This is another um, track from, he says, side two. I know, I'm old. You have to sort of excuse it. Anyway, this is Love Constitution, brackets, remix. Anyway, thank you. Have a great week and uh, stay tuned for next week. I'll have a special guest.
Love, love. 